Joy Division New Order. It's an amazing story. Yeah. And I, I do think something to be very proud of that in years to come, yeah. years and years to come, we'll still be talking about that gig at the Lesser Free Trade Hall. Yeah. And we'll still be talking about Factory Records and the Hacienda. Yeah. And probably still be talking about New Order, bloody arguing about money. You're listening to Having a Chat, the show where we take interesting people with interesting tastes in music and talk to them about the music that they love. I'm Alex Spears, and this week on the show we are chatting with someone who shaped the sound of two of alternative rock music's most important acts, Joy Division and New Order. Both of these bands and their stories have been speculated upon and discussed endlessly on this show, so we are very excited to have Peter Hook with us to chat about some music. This is Having a Chat. Alrighty, man. That's it. We're recording. Thank you very much for, for being with us. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Um, so there's there's a long list of things that I want to talk to you about. Um, there's, you know, you your name has come up on this show perhaps more than most um, oh. with many people citing you as, as one of their great influences. And, you know, uh, so it really is exciting to talk to you and one of the things that we have talked about since frankly the first episode of the show is the uh the sex pistols gig at the lesser free trade hall in manchester and the the various and assorted ripple effects that that had but you are perhaps you know the the influence that it had on you is perhaps one of the most important things to come out of that gig and 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 on your band and subsequent that's very kind of you to say i mean bernard and i were there with Terry Mason, who would become our roadie. Right. Uh, Bernard's um, uh, wife-to-be, Sue. Yeah, so it was it was a strange thing. I'd been on holiday in England, and I was an avid reader of the music papers. Right. Uh, in my job at work, where I used to work uh, for the government in Manchester at the town hall. Right. And uh, I was reading about the Sex Pistols, and right. every gig they did, seemed to end in complete chaos and a complete fracas and a huge fight. Yeah. And somehow, because of the lifestyle we led in Manchester, that sounded very um, reminiscent right. <laughs> most of our nights out. So the thing was, was that they seemed, I mean, I'd been reading the music press in England uh, probably ever since I was 14. Yeah. And I was 20 then. And I, I thought I, I knew a lot about music. And here was this new kind of music, right. with these new kind of people making it that seemed uh, anarchic. Yeah. You know, it seemed to have no respect for any of the conventions of music. It seemed to have no respect for, um, shall we say, the establishment, right. uh, the big musicians or anything like that. And, and as, a, as a young kid, a 20-year-old kid, it, it appealed the madness of it and the um, the awkwardness of it appealed to me. I mean, at, at 20, I'd gone through the whole thing of leaving school at 16 and then wondering what the hell I was going to do with my life. Right. Uh, rebelling, discovering drink, 
girls, clubs, etc. Not wanting to get a proper job, etc. You know, and uh, I, I didn't know what to do with my life. Is the right. truth. Now, I never thought that suggesting that Barney and I went. You know, we weren't interested in music apart from listening to it. Right. And our favourite music was heavy metal, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin. Family, you know, Jethro Tull, all the normal sort of prog rock acts. Uh, Black Sabbath, we sort of started to get into. And yeah, we, we just, I persuaded him to go, mm -hmm. along with my friend Terry, and he brought his missus. And when we got there, we did not know what to expect. And then the Sex Pistols came on, and they were unlike any group I had ever seen. They were scruffy. They were snotty. They were just telling everyone to F off. They were horrible. Right. The sound was horrible. The attitude was horrible. And it made me realize that there was something in this right. that was a way out, <laughs> right. if you like. For all those ridiculous reasons of being in my opinion, unmusician-like, yeah. unmusical, awfully awful attitude. Right. I just loved it. And yeah. I just thought, oh, my fucking godfathers, this is what I want to do. And, yeah, I mean, I watched Johnny Rotten tell us all to F off yeah. 20 times. Uh, and I thought, you know what? I could do that. Yeah. I could go on stage and tell everyone to F off. And, you know, throughout my career, I have, uh, I have actually um, uh, held on to that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, everything about the Sex Pistols was different. I mean, yeah. if you want to be cold and analytical now, you know, playing monkeys songs like they did, Last yeah. Train to Clarksville, whatever, I'm a Believer, Stepping Stone, you know, wasn't very anarchic, but right. by God, it sounded it. Right. It really, really did. And, you know, they had the Jordan there and they had the Bromley contingent. And, of course, they played Anarchy. Yeah, and um, they appeared on TV in England on Tony Wilson, who right. founded Factory Records show, and um, it was the wildest thing I had ever seen on TV at that point. Yeah, and I just knew then. Uh, Bernard and I walked out of the Free Trade Hall, the Lesser Free Trade Hall, and we said we we've got to form a group. Yeah, well, and so. And we, and we had we had Gazway Ellen from the Mondays on the show, and he was talking about how back in those days, like you wouldn't even it wasn't like the instruments would come second. It was almost like you you would decide that you were going to form a band, yeah. yes. and then you would kind of figure out the actual musicality of it later. Does does that sound yes. familiar to and, you? You know, the, the the strange thing is is that the musicality. The, the, the easiest decision you will ever make in your life as a musician is forming a band. Right. Right. 
everything else is really difficult. Right. The musicality of it is really difficult. Right. The finding the money for the instruments is really difficult. The getting the gigs, getting a manager, getting a record deal, they are all really difficult. Right. And, you know, it, it, was, it was extremely traumatic right from the word go. Yeah. You know, the disappointment when you didn't get a gig. Oh, man, it was, oh, I, I couldn't even explain it to you because there, there was no intention of it being for fame or right. being for money. It was just this mad desire you had to play yeah. to people who were like you. Yeah. which was punks, and we became punks. Yeah. You know, I mean, I went home and took the dog collar off the dog and, you know, <laughs> the dog collar and all this stuff and ripping our clothes and being ostracized right. by mainstream society was a wonderful feeling. I mean, now, you know, youngsters like yourself, right. uh, when you're at school, you kind of choose which tribe you want to be with. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we were in school, there, there, were those tri there was no tribes. Yeah, you, you you didn't have that, you know that I don't know finding your niche yeah. if you like in punk rock, as it turned out, thanks to the Sex Pistols, and it always makes me laugh whenever I bump into Glenn. Yeah, right, and I always say to Glenn the same thing: "It's all your fault. This is all your <laughs> fault." Without you know, I wouldn't be here, and I wouldn't have had all the grief and all the wonderful things if it hadn't been for you. And he always says the same thing to me. He always says, "Oh, fuck off, okay." <laughs> uh, no, and he, he's such a nice guy yeah glenn and i, I mean I've, I've worked with um johnny rotten uh, i know steve jones the only one i probably don't know is paul cook but yeah. i must admit that i would have nothing without them and malcolm mclaren yeah. vivian westwood an amazing group of mentors to be honest yeah you know they are the stuff of legend yeah uh, without them I would not be sat here 40 odd years later with that huge, ridiculous back catalogue that I've right. amassed. Yeah. And obviously, um, you know, my, my vocation, which yeah. is the strangest thing in the world. I mean, I, I didn't have a guitar when I went to that gig. And when I walked out of that gig, I still hadn't got a guitar. Uh, right. I was in a group, but I had no instrument, as you said before. I went and bought a bass guitar the next day. Um, the guy had to show me which one was a bass guitar because I didn't know. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that a bass had less strings than a guitar. Right. You know. And then Bernard and I, Barney and I, sat down and started to learn musicality. Right. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. Well, and then you know, you 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 had the the pleasure of doing of working with Martin Hannett, and Martin Hannett is just like you know such a legendary figure. How much of a yeah. role did he play in shaping that musicality? His his role, he wasn't very nice to work with. I have to say, right. he was very very <laughs> difficult to work with. Uh, he was much older than us. He knew exactly what he wanted. We were completely green. We had a great collection of songs, but that was about all we knew. Right. You know, he really did put the polish on it. He gave Joy Division an absolutely, absolutely unique sound. Yeah. Um, once Bernard and I realized how difficult he was, we just learned everything we could from him like a massive sponge. Yeah. And then because of his drug addiction, we had, we had to get rid of him. Yeah. He was impossible to work with. It was very sad watching him descend into... Yeah 
watch, you know, what which in this business sadly happens a lot, you know, it happened to me, um, descending into that sort of drug hell. Yeah. And um, yeah, but I mean, he taught us very well, you know, yeah. Bernard and I went on to produce New Order mm-hmm. and, you know, our first production was Procession mm-hmm. and then Everything's Gone Green and then Temptation mm-hmm. and then Blue Monday. Mm-hmm. And then movement was a sort of bridge between Joy Division and New Order, but Power, Corruption and Lies is, yeah. in my opinion, uh, absolutely fantastic record. Yeah. And yeah, there was no stopping us. And, and, you know, in all honesty, I will put my hand on my heart here and say that without Martin Hannett, we, we would not have been able to do that. The guy was an absolute genius. She's lost control again. She's lost control. Well, I mean, and so now I, I'm kind of curious, I want to get into the, the sort of the shift from Joy Division into New Order. Um, you know, we, we we had a guy on the show, he's sort of, he, he's an old punk rocker, but now he's a political consultant. Um, oh, but he, uh, he, and he's kind of a legend in Canada. Um, but he... He says that he wants the song Ceremony to be played at his funeral. And, <laughs> and he, he, he so much praise on to you personally um, when we had him on the show. Um, but I'm curious about that sort of that period where and, I, and I've heard you describe it in interviews as, you know, you were it was New Order singing, but it was Joy Division songs. So I'm curious of sort of what that period was like and how you were able to transition that into the sort of the Blue Monday era, if you want to call it that. Yeah, now, I mean, Ceremony is is sort of a difficult song and um, tell him that uh, if he pays me airfare and I ever get to travel again, I'll come and play it at his funeral. <laughs> um, it, will, it will be a pleasure. Um, ceremony was, was when we got towards the end of Joy Division, which we didn't know was the end at that time. <clears throat> but as Ian's illness became more progressive and more difficult, um, it, it stopped him doing certain things, but it never stopped him writing great songs. Right. And, you know, considering that Ceremony was the last song he wrote, uh, along with In a Lonely Place, In a Lonely Place has bloody awful lyrics, mm-hmm. you know, compared to his situation and Andy's outcome. But Ceremony was the next Joy Division song. Mm-hmm. And to listen to Ceremony and In a Lonely Place, it was obvious that Joy Division's third album was going to be amazing mm-hmm. as well. Now, what happened then was, was that once Ian had died, we literally put Joy Division away. Yeah. Absolutely. We, we would have nothing to do with it. And our way of grieving, me, Steve, Bernard, Rob Gretton, Terry R, Rodis, and everyone was to carry on. Mm-hmm. So that, that was how we dealt with the, the, the tragedy of Ian's death, was to throw ourselves into new order. So 
So we wrote a load of songs very quickly, all music. And then Rob Gretton sat there and said, what we're going to do with ceremony in, in a lonely place? Mm -hmm. What we're going to do with them? You've got all these new songs. What are we going to do with them? And he said, well, why don't you just do a single mm -hmm. and get rid of them? Yeah. And that was why New Order recorded Ceremony and In a Lonely Place. It was for Rob Gretton. Right. We wouldn't have done it. We were happy. We'd already written Dreams Never End. We'd done Procession. We, we were actually amassing ICB. We'd got quite a few songs ready, mm -hmm. and we were going to cross the bridge of singing. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, not exactly happily over that bridge, <laughs> but we were, we were about to cross it, yeah. And so, in a way, we had a bit of respite. Yeah. But going back to Ian, uh, it was very strange because we only had them on cassette from a dem from um, from a rehearsal room right. demo. And we had to listen to the cassette over and over again till we got the lyrics. We realized the lyrics were amazing. It was an amazing song. It was all written by Joy Division and New Order recorded it. And yeah. I suppose in a way. In, 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 a, in a funny way, it was very helpful to us as a group because it was a hit and yeah. it's a great song, but it wasn't very helpful to us in the way that we were desperately trying to start again. Right. We're and, trying to get out from that shadow. Yeah, that, that desperation now seems a bit silly. Right. Uh, I don't know why we were so desperate to, you know, forget Joy Division or to, to put it to one side. But, I mean, you know... It, Hindsight's a really strange thing, isn't it? Because if we'd have carried on as Joy Division mm -hmm. and got a singer in, it would have been... I, I can't imagine that. Yeah, you know, I think Joy Division's part of its success is, is that it's one of the most perfect rock and roll stories. Yeah, Two yeah. great albums, a very untimely death, a mistress, a wronged wife, a baby. Oh, my God, you know, the dog... The, the success of Joy Division, the darkness of the music, the way that it still speaks to people, young and old, now, in an amazing way. Ian had an amazing way of lyrically reaching out to people. I've been waiting for a guy to come and take me by the hand Cause these sensations make me feel the pleasures of a normal man These sensations bear the answers leave them for another But yeah, I mean, it is, it's, we, we should be able <laughs> as a group, New Order, to be able to slap each other on the back and say, didn't we do well, especially yeah. after, you know, yeah. um, Joy Division. But we, we aren't, so, and I don't know the reason. Right. <laughs> well, say. And and I heard an I heard an interview that you did where you said that you wish that uh, that Tony Wilson, Rob Gretton, and Ian Curtis were around to just come and and bang your guys' heads together. Yes. What do. what what do you think uh, their advice would be? Um, oh my god, I don't know, but you know the the oddest thing that Stephen Bernard and Gillian and I do is try to drag a fantastic group through the mud mm -hmm. over and over again. And I, 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 it becomes that long an argument. Right. I mean, I know the argument was about them taking the New Order brand and, in my opinion, not um, 
acting correctly when they did it. Right. And also um, it, it was, I didn't like them telling me how much I was worth to New Order. Right. That was what I fought against, but we did settle it. Um, it was, was less than satisfying, but we, right. we are unable to meet. We are unable to talk. And in my opinion, we still treat each other terribly. Right. So, you know, it, it's just one of those things. Hey, listen, we're not the first group. Yeah, you certainly are not. <laughs> maybe you won't be the last. Glenn, maybe if Glenn Matlock would have told me that on that night in the Lesser Free Trade Hall, I might not have formed <laughs> that bloody group. Well, and then, so I, I, I want to get back to, to New Order in a sec, but since you brought it up, you did this great um, collaboration with the Gorillas. Um, mm -hmm. and, 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 and I kind of see that almost as being kind of the next step in what you were just describing where, you know, I'm sure that you are an admirer of theirs and, and, you know, yes. I'm, I'm sure Damon yeah, yeah. is like the biggest admirer of yours. So, yeah. you know, how did, how did that come about and, and what sort of lessons and, and sort of stories did you guys exchange, um, between <laughs> one another? Well, I mean, I've known Damon for a long, long time. And when he was having his troubles with uh, Oasis, mm -hmm. shall we say, um, I was a shoulder to cry on, um, amongst other things. And we had many wild nights in right. London together. We were definitely part of a scene. So I've known him for a long time. Right. I also did the, uh, the train express that he did. Yeah. I played on that with him. And uh, I must admit, I've been very um, honoured whenever he's asked me to involve. I've done a few of his musical projects. Right. So it's easy. I'm a great fan of the Gorillas. I was a great fan of Jamie Hewlett when he had Deadline, the magazine that he yeah. had in England. Um, one of my ambitions was to appear on the cover. Right. Of Deadline, which I did coming out of Tank Girl's um, pouch because she had a, uh, a, a kangaroo costume on. So, right. yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's always been a thread that sort of weaved both of us together. I'm a great fan of the Gorillas anyway. Yeah. Um, and basically he just contacted me, said he'd got a song that he thought I must play on. Mm -hmm. um, I was terrified. Right. I must admit, absolutely terrified, as I always am. Um, I, whenever I do anything like that, I, I, it scares me to death. Yeah. Uh, I went down to London. He played me the track. Uh, I played bass on it. And I was out in an hour and a half. Yeah. yeah. And when he played me the finished track, I've never been so happy uh, in all my life. And, right, right. you know, the comments of everybody saying this is what New Order should sound like and how I should be a member of the Gorillas was a wonderful one. And it came right in the middle of the first lockdown. Right. You know, when it was miserable and had lost everything, basically. And then all of a sudden, Aries came out. It went to number one in America. Yeah. And I was just, it was so nice. It couldn't have been timed better yeah. if, if I'd, have, I'd have tried. And it was wonderful, yeah. I mean, the the he is um, he he's a perfectionist, yeah. and um, he is very driven, workaholic, right. mu musicaholic. 
So, yeah, it was great to be with him and it was nice to pull it off. You know, and for people to say it was Damon and Peter Hook was was a wonderful, wonderful compliment. And um, um, I'm, 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 I've got my only gig that I've got is playing with the Gorillas. I'm playing with the Gorillas in December. Right. Yeah. Online. Well, so, and and, and it, I, I want to get into this um, this kind of separate idea back to sort of the the discussion of New Order. So, you know, I, a lot of my friends are musicians, and something that I discuss with them endlessly is like the the sort of the financial and business pressure that's put on them when they're in a creative space and you know i am a great great admirer of tony wilson you know i mean Mm -hmm. i'm i'm literally i'm wearing a happy mondays t-shirt right now i'm talking to you (laughs) you know like i i am a perhaps one of his greatest admirers but it doesn't seem like he was all that effective at managing a business and it seems like you guys perhaps being the most commercially successful of the factory groups at the time, you really bore the brunt of that. I mean, whether it's the Blue Monday single losing money for every unit that was sold or just the pressure that was put on you guys to effectively keep the Hacienda open. How do you sort of create and remain creative in such a pressure-heavy environment? Well, I think you've answered the question there, the pressure is what keeps you going for the right. simple reason. I mean, we made some horrendous mistakes, right. but as Rob Gretton and Tony Wilson used to say to us, you know, you cannot pay for a legacy and a heritage like this. Yeah. And New Order and Joy Division are very unusual groups in that Joy Division were independent for, God, 20 years. Mm-hmm. New Order were independent for 16 years. Mm-hmm. You know, New Order brought the world the Hacienda, mm-hmm. the Happy Mondays, Factory Records. We were Acid House in many ways. You know, we were definitely in the um, the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And also, in interestingly, as you quite rightly say, the fact that we had no money right. kept us pretty desperate. And there was no relaxing because we had no money. So, you know, we couldn't go on our yachts to the south of France being weighted on hand and foot. There there was nothing like, you know, there was no Roman orgies. We we were literally scrabbling round for for money until we'd, God, I mean, I think I was something like 36. Yeah. So I've been in a group for 16 years before I actually saw any of the money that I was earning. Right, and mainly due to Tony's, um, not uh, mismanagement. I don't think is the is the right word. Right, Tony was a very very creative. He was very entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. He was a catalyst in the same way that Malcolm McLaren was, mm-hmm. and the only thing he wasn't interested in was money. Right, and if we were at the hacienda and a consultant would come in to tell us where we were going wrong right and he'd start quoting boring facts and figures and (laughs) boring shit tony would literally throw him out right go you boring bastard i'm not in this business to talk to people like you yeah and that was his downfall you know because people like that outnumber people like us yeah so that was his downfall he never realized that 
Yeah. You know, but I mean, you know, Tony was a, a philanthropist. Yeah. He opened the Hacienda with Rob Gretton because people like us had nowhere to go. Yeah. It, it, we didn't know it was going to cost him a fortune and nearly bring down everything. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't care. All yeah. he cared about was that people like us, probably you as well, yeah. if you were there, had somewhere to go. Yeah. You know, I mean, isn't that the nicest thing in the world? Yeah. And he no. said, you, the bloody group, you can bloody pay for it. Yeah. Your fans. So you pay for them. Yeah. But, right. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I remember getting my, um, uh, I finally got a car, a company car one night at the Hacienda and I was so proud of it, yeah. little Audi, uh, Audi Coupe. And um, uh, I parked it outside the Hacienda and someone must have seen me go in. Mm -hmm. And when I came out, they smashed it up and uh, they smashed the lights, kicked the doors in, right. jumped on the roof. Uh, and I went back into the Hacienda and I was blazing mad. Yeah. And Tony Wilson was there. And he said to me, what's the matter with you, Hockey? What's the matter? And I said, those bastards, they must have watched me. They've come in, they've smashed me car up and then come in here. And he said to me, he said, darling, he said, they bloody paid for it. <laughs> it's just like a weird egalitarian view of the music business. That's brilliant. Yeah, and people. Yeah. Well. yeah and I thought, well, yeah, I mean, it did bring me... It didn't. It didn't. You know, do much to make me my anger recede. But right. I suppose I can relate to that. Yeah, you know, it's a nice it sentiment. Yeah. So I mean, Tony's ideas were very uh, idealistic. Yeah. And um, th that is very difficult to translate. He, he just got ripped off yeah. all the time because people weren't idealistic like him. Yeah. And that was what the downfall of both Factory and the Hacienda, and if you like, the downfall of Rob Gretton yep. and Tony Wilson was because all those horrible people in the world are only interested in money. Yeah. They, they couldn't beat them. Yeah. They wanted to do something for Manchester. They wanted to do something for the people of Manchester. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, that is a dream. Yeah. And it's a very difficult dream to realize, but we did do it. You know, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that Factory is still held up as the perfect ideal for an independent record company. Yeah. Even though, as you said, it, you know, it, it was a management shambles. Yeah. Um, it's still held up as that ideal. The Hacienda is held up as an ideal for nightclubs. Yeah. And the influence it had on so many areas from post-punk to um, Acid House. Yeah dance music to Manchester, Stone yeah. Roses, Happy Mondays, etc. Without the Hacienda, they would those three would not have existed in Manchester. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's you know, sometimes you think it was a high price to pay. Right. Sometimes you think you couldn't pay enough for that. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, and I, I would that as a musician, it's actually nice to have a depth, yeah. shall we say, to your career. It's yeah, not just about getting up like a band and playing a few hits and then going off and relaxing in northern Spain. Right. It's it's about creating something that you left behind and has left behind in Manchester 
an attitude and an ideal mm-hmm. of how things should be. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm very proud of Tony and I'm very proud of Rob Gretton yeah. and Martin Hannett as yeah. well, you know, for those ideas. I mean, and, and, and I feel like, you know, I am so just personally inspired by the philosophies of Tony Wilson. You know, I mean, we, you know, we, we had Alan McGee on the show and McGee was talking all about, you know, the extent to which, you know, th- as you say, like the, the business model of factory inspired creation. Yeah, did, um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, just, just the idea of, you know, he has this quote and it's in the movie 24 hour party people. I don't know if he actually said it, but he says that he is a minor character in his own life story. It's really just about the music and, and that. And do you know what was his biggest fault as well was the music because he turned down the Smiths. He turned down the stone roses. He turned down Oasis. Right. He didn't like these. And I said, why did you turn down the stone roses? He said, I don't like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right okay why did you turn down the smiths i don't like them yeah but you know but the ripple effects are still there right i mean yeah of course and yeah. you know, i mean he he will always be remembered from that very first showing yeah. of the sex pistols on granada tv in 1976 yeah his his reputation was ensured and it was cast in stone yeah this guy was a maverick yeah. He was, uh, he, he saw the future before yeah. anybody else. Joy Division, New Order. It's an amazing story. Yeah. And I, I do think something to be very proud of that in years to come, yeah. years and years to come, we'll still be talking about that gig at the Lesser Free Trade Hall. Yeah. And we'll still be talking about Factory Records and the Hacienda. Yeah. And probably still be talking about New Order, bloody arguing about money. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, and just even even the fact that, like, you know, I'm 23 years old. I've got a T-shirt with Bez's face plastered on it, and I and an endless source of fascination for me is the story of you know that Sex Pistols gig, Joy Division, New Order. It 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 speaks to the longevity of it, and it speaks to yeah. this idea that you were stressing that there's so much depth to it. You didn't just yeah. pump out a couple good tunes and then fuck off to Spain. You, no. There is, it, there is it, an, it an immense... a long time. And, the, you know, the interesting thing, I suppose, that in this day and age when we're used to seeing everything, yeah. the very fact that you can't see that yeah. makes it all the more alluring. Because yeah. I'm telling yeah. you, it wasn't a great night. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it was wonderful and it was such an exciting atmosphere. Yeah. in Manchester at that time. Yeah. By the time we got to 1990, when Bez appeared, right. they, they lived in the same district that I lived in in Manchester. Right. Um, uh, Sean Ryder was my postman. No way. Derek wow. Ryder was my postman. And they used to put... They, I've actually got the cassette still yeah. that they put through my door with right. the egg on it that got them signed to Factory. Holy cow. Because he was my postman. And one of Sean Ryder's great stories is, is that he used to steal all the postcards that I used to send my mother. Right. 
And whenever I came home, I'd get in such trouble from my mother because I hadn't sent her a card. And I said, I did send you a card. And she went, oh, you lying little bugger. And it was because bloody Sean Ryder was nicking me postcards. That <laughs> oh, so it's God. nice, you see, because they started as fans. Yeah. You know, the Happy Mondays started as fans of Joy Division and New Order and then came through and achieved what they did. The Stone Roses were fans of Joy Division and New Order. Yeah. You know, it, it is an ama- Manchester at that point had an amazing story. Yeah. An amazing run from 1976 up to, wow, till the start of Oasis, really. I mean, yeah. Oasis fucked that up was, to London. Yeah. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? But they were still a Manchester group. But that, that was also when it really hit its peak in terms of, yeah. like, you know, the spread internationally. Manchester was yeah. in, um, absolutely immense. Every time I used to go all around the world um, and a taxi driver would pick you up, and, you know, where, wherever you were in the world, the taxi driver would say, hey, where are you from, buddy, yeah. or whatever. And I'd say Manchester. And he'd go, oh, Manchester United. Yeah. Bez, happy Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> and that's brilliant, right? Like, that's what you want. Yeah. Like, that's what you want. You just want it to flow on to the next generation. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it is about inspiring people because, you know, yeah. the thing is, is that what I loved about Glenn Matlock and the Sex Pistols was that they showed me that anybody could do it yeah. all you had to have was the gumption yeah. to get up and do it you know yeah. when johnny rotten said get off your ass yeah that was what it was all about and you know throughout my career which has been wonderful and you know 99 percent of it is absolutely fantastic right um whenever somebody comes up to me and says i started bass because of you yeah I'm over the moon for the simple reason that when the first time I saw Glenn Matlock, yeah. I said to him, I started bass because, because of you. Of yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, and I have to say, you know, and, and I'm conscious of the time. So, you know, we'll, we'll wrap up in a sec. But I but I do have to say, you know, when so I posted um, in the, the show's Instagram story, um, you know, our, our first three guests for the first three episodes of season three. And the the one about you got by far the most response i mean literally people messaging me saying that exact same thing like literally he is the reason why i play bass he is my and, favorite you know bass i can't wait to see glenn because i'm going to tell him about that yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah you got you got a bigger reaction than glenn <laughs> you know one one thing i love about him he's so cool yeah nothing it just all goes over yeah. his head because uh, you know if you if you talk to him about um, the Sex Pistols reforming, mm-hmm. oh my god, you know I've not the the only Sex Pistols book I haven't read is Glenn Matlock's book. I've read right. Steve Jones, which was a fantastic book. Uh, I've read two of Johnny Rotten's. I've not read the latest one. Right. Um, Johnny Rotten does have a habit of sometimes disappearing up his own ass. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Jones's book was an absolutely fabulous read, but I must get Glenn's. Yeah. Because he's the only one I know. Right. You know, and I haven't read his bloody book. I, 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 must, I must do that. It came out a long time ago, though. It's, yeah. It's, his book. So I, I, must, I must do that. I must remedy that. But yeah. no, it was lovely to speak to you. Yeah. Likewise, <laughs> Peter. Yeah. Man, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. And, uh, you know, as, as I say, it, it's, we, we have spoken about you perhaps more than anyone else on this show. So it, it really, it's such I, an honor. I, and I will take that as a great compliment, mate. Thank you yeah. very much, Alex. Of course. 
All right, thanks very much to Peter Hook for joining us this week. As always, you can find full versions of this show wherever you get your podcasts or at havingachat.com. Havingachat.com is also where you can subscribe to our new bi-weekly newsletter. We've yet to send it out, but uh, but we're working on it. The show is produced by myself and Hillary Johnston. Social media and marketing materials are done by Petra Walker, so don't forget to check us out on Facebook or Instagram. Theme music is composed by Duncan Briggs and Sugar Glass. I'm Alex Spears, and we will talk to you next week.